from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. One, two, clean. Welcome back, everyone, to Crying in Public. Today, we have a very special guest. We have with us Caitlin Magnuson. She is the aptly known millennial money expert. I can't say that. Millennial money expert. (laughs) She's the founder of a business and a blog called The Freelance CFO, and her business offers services and programs to help individuals, small businesses, entrepreneurs with taxing and accounting services in ways to save and manage their money while enjoying their daily cappuccino. And weekend brunches for us is a must. <laughs> and we've been wanting to do a budgeting episode for the longest time, but we're all awful spenders, as you all know by our so. episodes. So happy to have an expert here with us to like guide us through and obviously help us as well through the process. Yeah. So welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. No, I'm really excited to be here. My sister just recently graduated college. So I feel like I've been running through like the college mentality forever, but at least the, you know, the young twenties, I unfortunately broke out of my twenties during the pandemic, but oh, uh, at least you were out of it. Exactly. At least you're out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. We're on the very opposite end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, just getting ready to like dive in. Yeah. Um, 
No, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you all. I'm sure that we will have a ton of various little knowledge bombs to drop as we go through. And I have some really interesting anti-budgeting things that we'll talk about too. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to know a little bit specifically how you got to where you are today. Like what do you attribute your success to and what, what was like the inspiration behind your career path specifically? I'm going to attribute my success to several different things. So one would be job hopping. Um, I job hopped all through my early twenties and I don't think I stayed. There was one job in college that I stayed at for four years, but outside of that, I didn't stay anywhere longer than a year and a half. Um, and I was able to use various jobs to leverage my career. And when I actually left the career that I was in, I was making just shy of six figures at 27. Um, And it, you know, it really escalated very quickly. And the other aspect to that side of everything was a gratitude practice. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't focus on enough and being grateful for, you know, the opportunities for the challenges for anything that comes up in our daily lives, I think can take something and put such a good spin on it. Even if it's something that, you know, traditionally you might be like, wow, this is really like shit. Um, you know, what can you learn from it? And I shattered my ankle a couple of years ago. And it ended up being the catalyst for me. Yeah, freak accident, giant slip and slide at a winery. It was a whole <laughs> oh, winery. What a fun way to, if, if there is a fun way to break something. At least there's wine. Uh, yeah. Yes. No, it makes for a good story. Uh, my orthopedic surgeon was like, yeah, most people just fall off of curves. And I was like, well, I'm also not 75, but thanks. <laughs> so no, that really for me was something that could have been really negative because I couldn't put weight on it for like three months. You know, it's something that I was couch bound. I'm really active, you know, constantly on the go and And instead it finally made me sit down and get really quiet and listen to my thoughts and realize that I had been putting off so many things in my life that I didn't need to be putting off any longer, you know, until I saved X, Y, Z until I was here until I was there. And from that point, that was in July, we listed and sold our house a month later and were moved into our new house in a different state in like two months after that. And so it was really the catalyst for me personally to realize like where I was playing really small. And I really do attribute gratitude to being that big. It sounds so cheesy, um, but to, you know, to being that big push that I needed to then further my life and then on the business side of things. So, so many things, my journey has been like all over the place. Um, but I started when I was 18 working as a bookkeeper for a small business and I got thrown into it. She literally stalked me. So I was a lifeguard and a private swim instructor. Yeah, no, it was, it was kind of creepy for a bit because I thought she wasn't legit. Um, but I taught private swim lessons and was a lifeguard at this club and this crazy lady would swim, you know, like back and forth and she'd chat with me and she was like, yeah, Hey, I really think, um, you know, you should come work for me. I have this business out of my house. And it's like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, like finishing up high school, you know, living life to its fullest. And finally she was like, look, the girl that works for me is not going to be working for me anymore. Are you interested or are you not? So I like told my mom where I was going and gave her the address in case I got kidnapped and (laughs) house. And she had a legitimate business. Like she ran it out of the bottom of her house and she'd been doing it for 15 years, basically her and her husband had retired and ran out of money. Uh, they retired early. And so they'd started this business and it was fairly profitable. And so through that, I was mentored by someone all through college about like how to do the inventory and the bookkeeping and the accounting and everything. Um, while I was going to school for something completely not related, I went to school for international development studies, um, with a focus on Latin America and sustainable agriculture. So like, 
you know, my chickens are well cared for, but it does not have much of a bearing <laughs> in my professional life. Um, but that was really the kickoff to like, Hey, I'd always been really good at math. Like this was kind of an easy segue into like always being able to do something different. And so I left there at the end of when I was done with college and I ended up going into the sales tax world, which sounds really boring to so many people, but I loved it. Um, and I basically got to determine, you know, like when, cause in a lot of States companies will just pay sales tax on everything. You know, if it's a 6% sales tax rate, we'll pay it. We're done. We're good. Yeah. When in reality, they may only need to pay sales tax on 50% of what they sell. And so they could be paying, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year that they don't need to be paying. And so our company would go through and do that and audit like where they were. And it was really fun to get to do the research. And that ended up really just kind of continuing to snowball as I hopped jobs to, you know, I did, I've done payroll, I've done sales tax. Um, I've done another sales tax position and then accounting and bookkeeping roles. And it finally ended up with me back in the small business realm. And I helped a business prep to sell. The owner was looking to retire. And when I did that, um, the business moved states. It went from Oregon to South Carolina. And then I found myself out of a job and unemployed at 25 for the first time in my life, uh, being the primary earner in my household and kind of freaking out because unemployment was like, Hey, you make too much money. And based on your age and your industry, we don't think you're going to find another job was essentially what their letter to me said. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you should start your own business. Yeah. It was like <laughs> wow. 25 year old me was like, Oh my God. Great. This, this is how it ends. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually, sorry. Yeah. But I was going to say, I was actually, I'm taking a financial accounting class for the first time um, out of my like career or a college career because I found out I have to do it for a grad school program and yeah I I was really freaked out by it before because everyone told me oh it's awful like it's just memorization like blah blah blah. I actually quite enjoy it right now um so I was like "Mm, maybe this is the not the right career choice but I was going to ask you um did you ever regret like taking something completely different in college and like now that you're in this uh finance bank, whatever, like money job that you were completely different from? So that's a good question. And I would say, so I came from a really like standard middle-class family. And for me, my parents, college was non-negotiable. I actually didn't want to go to college at the time. Um, I wanted to go travel and it was, Hey, you go to college and then we don't care what you do. Um, so I went to school and I wanted to do something that I was interested in. And I was going to double major originally in international business and international development studies, which was the um, newest degree at the college that I was at. And it was kind of a spinoff from international studies and worked a lot more with the developing world, you know, Africa, Latin America, parts of Asia. And for me, it was kind of my like, I'll show you, you know, and I'll go do a degree that's interesting to me. Do I regret the degree itself? No, because it's, it's open doors for me. I've had jobs that really you did not need a bachelor's for that required a bachelor's just to get in the door. Right. Um, I've had several of those. Um, so having that is great, but none of them gave two shits like at all what the degree was in, which was really frustrating to me. Um, I think that a lot of times our society places too much, and I'm hoping that this is changing over the next, next decade, but I think we put so much stock or the prior generations put so much stock in having to have a college degree in order to be successful. And the amount of debt that you have to take on a lot of times to be able to do that, I think ends up making that degree not necessarily worthwhile. So a very long winded answer to your question. I would say at the end of the day, 
No. Um, I'm grateful for the knowledge and some of the sort of ancillary courses that I took that were beneficial, like conflict resolution and things that I use kind of in my everyday life. Um, but I wish that needing to have that to get into jobs wasn't a requirement. I agree. I totally agree. Oh my God. I really think they should make financial classes a requirement in high school and college because we are in our early twenties, mid twenties, and we still don't know how to calculate tax and tip on a dinner. We will sit there for 30 (laughs) minutes with a calculator, like guys, we all got different numbers here. And so, yeah, I feel like I love that you have programs that help people like learn how to save and learn how to manage their money, because I feel like that should be required in schools especially as like people going into having their money for the first time in their lives. So I feel like for us, I know that'd be perfect for us, but segueing into another conversation, tell us a little bit about um, who you are and how you got to starting your business and what your business is all about. So we all get like a better understanding of that. Yeah. So from that period of unemployment and uncertainty, um, I basically ramped up. I've been freelancing a little bit on the side, doing bookkeeping and things like that. That was the year that I got really serious. I ended up working with a business coach and really delving into the bookkeeping accounting realm because it was something I was good at. It was something I'd been a small business myself. I'd worked with them. I liked making the impact that I could make with a small business versus being just kind of another cog in the wheel. I worked with like Thompson Reuters and some larger companies and yeah, it was great. It was, you know, kind of easy and less stressful, but I didn't make the big, you know, change that I wanted to see happen. And so with that, I started pitching basically smaller business owners like, Hey, do you need bookkeeping services, accounting services, reaching out to my network and working from that place. And what I ended up realizing is that we need so much more. So one, Most companies don't need a full-time bookkeeper or accountant. You need someone that can do like five to 10 hours a week or less, but more that someone's going to be on it regularly. And so people would make the mistake of either doing it themselves and doing it wrong, not doing it and getting to the end of the year and being like, oh, I need help. Um, Or thinking that they need to hire an office manager or someone full-time, which you really don't need. You're going to end up paying a lot more than you need. And so that spawned, God, my business has had like three different names now, but the name that I have settled on for the last, I think three years has been the freelance CFO, because really that's what I provide at the end of the day is freelance CFO services. And we do a lot more than just bookkeeping and accounting. I actually have a small team that works with me now. Um, you know, it's, it's tax prep, it's business registration, it's working through your personal finances. It's, you know, figuring out if it's finally time to set up like an IRA or a retirement account or be, you know, investing or prep to buy house and like all of that financial like minutiae that goes into making our lives run is what we really cover in what I'm doing. And so it's ended up being that the majority of my clients are millennial and zennials and Gen Zers just based on age range. And I think, you know, really with the way that our society has been going, you know, everything's online anyways, like why there's no reason for us to do anything in person if we don't want to anymore. Um, I mean, my introverted self was like, yes, um, (laughs) I don't want to like, this is great. Um, But there's just so much misinformation out there. And I know everyone's like, oh yeah, you can just Google it, but Google will take you down. Like, yes, if you can find the right answer, Google's great, but it's like wading through the anxiety of like, is this the right answer on Google that I think can make things even more frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't trust Google. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel like 
Every single piece of the knowledge that you said, supposedly, it's supposedly passed on by your parents. But I feel like my parents didn't tell me anything no. about any of this stuff. I, I was expected to learn at, in high school or college, but like I ended up didn't choose like the finance route. So obviously, I didn't learn about it. But I feel like right now, because I have no knowledge at all, I don't even, even if I wanted to Google, I don't even know where to start. Like, where do I Google, like, how to do investment, how to save? Yeah. Like, that's just so general that I, I can't even, like, I can't start. Yeah. No, and I think that's a big problem too, is like not even knowing what you don't know. So like, you don't know how to get started and you don't know like where those holes are. And, you know, I even work with clients that are in their like, you know, mid to late thirties and they're like, yeah, I don't have retirement. I don't have investing. And there's all this shame that gets wrapped up in it where, you know, they're like, I'm an adult. I should know this. But the problem is there's never like, there's not someone here, you know, there's Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or like all of these kind of, you know, standard traditional, I would say traditional, not standard, but traditional financial advice that can feel really stuffy and doesn't work when you have, you know, like maybe five or six figures in student loan debt, or you're coming into an economy that for the second time, like has had a huge decrease in available jobs. And like, how do you navigate that and the changing world that we all live in? And so that's really where I wanted to be here to kind of fill that gap. And I know that like, there are a ton of areas that I probably don't touch on, but it, like exactly being able to guide someone like you, you know, Hey, this is where you'd want to start. Like, even if I don't have the resource, I have the connections or know of the people that have the resources to get you started, to be able to build that financial knowledge. And I try and collaborate with a lot of those people because of that. I feel like that's so important to learn all those things. And I just still don't know that. And like, I'm in college and I took all my econ classes expecting to learn like something about like working with money that I still know nothing about. And you were explaining earlier how everything like is remote now and like how you can do everything online, but how did, were you completely remote pre-pandemic or how did moving into the pandemic affect your business? So I was completely remote prior to that. I, on a normal, on a normal year, um, I travel a lot. And so for me, that was something that I really wanted location independence. And that was a big part of starting my business. And so my, I have clients all over the U S in Europe. Um, and I've been based on the West coast for most of my life, but kind of all over. And so for me, transitioning into the pandemic, wasn't really a big, you know, it was more adjusting to my clients because a lot of my clients are in the wedding industry or, you know, and that just got thrown like for a huge loop, but anything that was, you know, in person, you know, it was pivoting. How do I help them pivot? Whereas I was already set up, which, you know, I mean, not seriously, like blessing in disguise with that whole thing. But it just further cemented that like, I think it's made people realize because one of the common misconceptions is you have to work with someone that's a bookkeeper or an accountant, like that's local to you and you don't. Um, and that's, you know, been able to be like, people have realized that more and more that why am I limiting myself geographically when there are so many things that you can do more efficiently without ever having to meet in person. And then it cuts drive time and everything else out of it. That's true. Yeah. You were saying that like traveling is really important to you. So like, do you did pre pandemic, like, did you travel a lot? Like, where did you go? And like, is it, was it a way to like, how do I say this? Is it a way to like de-stress and like do something fun in your like free time? So I actually consider what I do to be fun, like 90% of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the goal. Yes. I mean, that's, that's why I do what I do. I like it. I like like those aha moments with clients, right. When we can talk about it and they're like, oh my God, that finally makes sense. Like I've been trying to understand this for so long. Um, But I would travel. So, I mean, with the degree and the, I'm fluent in Spanish. I've been working on learning Portuguese, but um, a big part of my long-term plan is to have real estate in either Europe or South America. And so I split a lot of my time between those two places and I've been doing that since 
really my teens, um, my family traveled a lot. I traveled a lot with them as kids. Like that was our one big outlet was travel and food and culture and getting to like see new places. And it was just, it was great. And so for me, some of my trips would have an element of like vacation to them, but really it was more for the inspiration and to get out and really live life. Like I can still work three to four hours a day and then go do almost everything that I want, you know, when I'm somewhere else. And so it really was a life that I didn't necessarily have to vacation from that I could take with me where I went. That's amazing. That's so sick. I love traveling. I miss traveling so That's much. That's a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah right. I, to have, but... I feel like that is the goal. <laughs> but then yeah. I feel like the pandemic, like I walk outside and walk a block and I'm like, it's a long trip. <laughs> so this should be interesting. We live in a six floor walk up. So it's already like a huge. <laughs> it feels like traveling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, um, that I have stairs in my house for the first time ever. And like, I get up on top <laughs> and I'm on a box and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like walking around, you know, Porto, like this is, this is not going to be good. We're going to have to work back into this yeah Yeah. okay so question so I see a lot of like movies talks people explaining about like their experience leaving the corporate world and starting their own business so I feel like even as a woman it's even harder because of like conceptions and stigma and things like that so like what inspired you or pushed you to start your own business and were you scared to leave the corporate world like how's that experience or that transition for you so that's a good question so I I kind of left twice Um, the first time that I left was in 2015 when I ended up unemployed and, you know, they were like, Hey, by the way, start a business. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll start a business. And that was terrifying because it wasn't on my terms. I, you know, I think a lot of us like to have some modicum of control. Right. And when you don't, and it's, you know, you're forced into something instead of choosing something, you'll figure it out, but it's also, I think, scarier. And so that was all well and good. I ended up actually going on full-time with a client a year or two after that and kind of mixing through into the job that I ended up in until a year ago. Um, and the last time I've taken these jobs strategically for a reason, basically I see the corporate world as a tool to be used. And I think a lot of us don't look at it that way. We look at it as like, you know, you're getting a job and like, they're doing a favor by hiring you. No, like they're hiring you because you fill a role that they need to have things accomplished and they don't owe you. Someone told me years ago, like the company will never be loyal to you. And that was something that felt really pessimistic at the time. And then since I've realized like it helps me detach my emotions from like the people that are where I work, because I can have great friends where I work, but that doesn't mean that when it no longer serves me that I should feel guilty for leaving. And this last job that I had was in payroll and work comp and all these great skills that I wanted to flesh out, but also because it's easier to be employed when you look to buy a house. And I knew we were going to be buying a house. So I had taken it on kind of for both sides of that. And I had just started verbalizing like a month or two before the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I really, I wouldn't be sad if I was let go. I wouldn't be sad if this ended, but I was too chicken shit to pull the trigger at the time. And so like, you know, it was a great job. It was six figures. It was less than 40 hours a week, like all things said and done. Like it, it, it was easy. Why leave it? Well, cause I could be way less miserable and make a lot more money doing my own thing. Um, but my husband was super skeptical. And so I kind of had these like warring voices going on in my head, right? Like I'm, you know, the primary earner, am I doing what's responsible? We just bought a house. I moved out of state. Like, is this the right thing? And then the pandemic happened. And March 27th, I got the call that that was my final day and they were laying me off and they laid off 20% of their staff. I ended up with a severance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no wording at all. I ended up with a severance package and I qualified for unemployment for a bit and it was the best thing. I have more than replaced my income in the last year because I find, and I work on a busy week. I work 30 hours a week. 
And that's like right now in the middle of tax season, like on a normal week, I work less than 20 hours. My husband quit his job in May. He works like 10 hours a week in my business and we make more than we made beforehand. And it is such a better. So I'd say for anyone looking to leave one, start what you're doing beforehand, if you can. And like, I use my day jobs to fund my business for years to make sure that I had help in place, to make sure that I was working with the clients that I wanted. It was a safety net, maybe a little longer than it should have been, but it let me feel really confident in the services that I was offering, the pricing that I had. And that was really invaluable for me to have. So then when they were like, by the way, you're out, um, freaked out for like two days and then <laughs> gathered everything together and was like, yeah, we've got this. And then I had one dip, like the next month was rough. And then since then my income has only climbed and it has just been, I mean, it's been phenomenal. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Do you think that, like, right after when you were, like, focusing only on your business and just your business, you were working a lot, though, like, 60 hours a week to, like, in order to start? No, not at all. No, no. Uh, cause it's, it, it was summer. And so I, you know, I got laid off the end of March. So April was like, uh, and then May was my 30th birthday and like everything started locking down here. And, uh, the summer where I live is absolutely fantastic. And I'm an outside person. So I will not like, that's normally my slow season. I may a heavy week might've been like 35 hours, but no, cause I've done that. I've done the 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks with the business, with the job, with the multiple jobs, with the school. 
I don't know how, I mean, you just do it because you have to do it. And like, you have to pay the bills. And I did that for years really until I was probably like 26 or 27. And looking back on it, like I I did it because I had to, I would never willingly do that again, unless I had to, I, I had a lot of experience from it, but I thought for the longest time that work had to be hard. And I don't mean yeah. that you don't need to put hard work in and put effort in, but I think so many of us can get wrapped up that like in order to be worthy of that income or that next level, you have to kind of kill yourself to be able to do that. And I think that proving that to myself and watching other people around me that were making six or seven figures, I was like, oh, well, if they can do it, like why, why can't I? And like really challenging myself to flip that narrative. Actually, I was just in a capitalism class and the professor basically said what you said. uh, He was like, well, never trust an employee because they always want more power to exert on you. Um, So basically, that's exactly what you said. But um, recently, I've been like getting financial information from TikTok. TikTok. (laughs) But that's where I learned, you know, Actually, saving is very important, obviously, but I feel like saving can get you only so far um, that like it can't sustain your lifestyle or whatever. So um, I would say my question to you would be like, when do you think people should start investing? Because like, I feel like I'm already too late to invest because some, some, <laughs> some stern like business school student already investing and like, I feel behind. I'm like, well, I feel like I should do something else. Uh, no. So literally, I mean, the answer would be yesterday. Um, the next best answer is today because even if, and this, this blew my mind and I told my sister, I was like, you are so, cause I'm seven years older than her. I'm like, you are so lucky that I have made all these mistakes and learned these things. Like I've got her set up. She has a 401k going, like she's got everything going and is look like looking to max it all out, which is great. She's living at home right now. Cause she made the decision to go get her master's, but that's neither here nor there. Um, with all of that, even if you can do $25 a month or a week or what, whatever you can do, $10, all of that would be better than being like, Oh, I'll wait until I'm 25 or 26 or 27. And I have a job and I'm earning six figures and my student loans are paid off or, you know, any of these variables that come through because what you're not realizing is how much compound interest you're missing over the and like compounding returns. And there was a really good graphic that I saw where like, I think it was, if you started investing at like 18 and you invested, I think it was like a total of $28,000 over four years, like $7,000 a year, you would have more money than if you invested a thousand dollars a month from, I think it was like 35 to 45 or something. So it's like, just because you have so much more time for that money to sit. So my biggest recommendation is even if you think that it is like too small, nothing is too small. Like there are robo advisors. You can get started with a dollar. Um, and so just getting started now would be better than waiting until like a debt was paid off. Generally. It was like, my dad told me I need to start investing me and my sister. So I like signed up for the one online and they had to answer five questions. I saw the first one and it was like, what kind of account do you want? And I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what any of this means, <laughs> but for people who are like just getting started, are those the kind of people that start with your programs or is it more people who have reached that point where it's hard for them to start and they're starting to like want to go back and build up their credit or investments or things like that? A little bit of both. So I have some people that are like, Hey, I haven't done anything. I'm just looking to like understand where to start. Like maybe I might be six months before having any available cash or, you know, but like, I want to know so that when I have it, I'm ready. And then I have other people that are like, 
oh God, I have money and savings, but I haven't been doing retirement or I'm not sure how to pay my debt off. So like there's really both sides of it. And that really comes down to more of a personality type. I find some people like will get to the point where they feel more secure and then dive in. And some people want to plan ahead of time so that they know when they get there to like those specific life markers. Um, I know that most like financial advisor jobs require you to pay a certain rate for their service, obviously, which is why I'm so scared because I don't already don't have that much to invest, let alone to like take a portion of out, it out and then like, I, I just can't justify it. But like, logically, it definitely makes sense to let some of you guys do. But like, I, I, I like, what do you think of that? Like rates? So- that it's really funny. It reminds me of a client that I had worked with a couple of years ago and she was like, yeah, I really don't want to pay this fee. You know, I, I feel like if we put $5,000 in a year, you know, that's, what was it? 50, I think it was $50. I think it was, yeah, 1%. Um, and she's like, I just don't, I don't want to be sending any of that money. Like over the course of the next 40 years, that fee that I'm paying could add up to X, Y, Z. So instead what happened, I checked in with her at the end of the year. I was like, of course, I respect your decision. You do what you feel best about. We got to the end of the year. She put nothing into her account. So what's the opportunity cost that she had of being paralyzed by not doing anything Um, with there's like various financial fees that you can look at. So there's a fiduciary, there's a financial advisor, there's robo advisors, and there's doing it yourself. And in that they'll kind of go in that expense. So with financial advisors, you're not going to see a fee that you pay them upfront. They're going to be getting paid on commission based on the funds they invest you in. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to be investing you in the best funds. That also doesn't mean they're going to be investing you in the worst funds, but there's an incentive behind the scenes there for them to invest you in whatever they get the highest commission based off of. So that's one side. So you're paying for it, but not, you're not realizing you're paying for it, right? Cause it's wrapped up into like the expense funds that you pay, et cetera. Now there's a fiduciary and a fiduciary will charge a flat rate. So in my case, I work with the fiduciary. He charges me 1%. So 1% of everything that I invest, he is morally and legally obligated to act in my best interest based on the information I've given him. So if I invest $10,000, he gets $100 of my money and he gets that, it gets paid to him quarterly. So every quarter it'll automatically pull from my account 25% or two and a half percent, percent, 0.25%, there we go, the math uh, <laughs> of what I've invested that quarter. So I don't have to do anything with it. And then we meet once a year, we review where I'm at risk-wise, like how I'm feeling, if I wanna be investing in more ethical investments, go over the cost, how things have performed, he rebalances it to make sure everything's moving forward how it should be. Then there's robo-advisors. And a lot of robo-advisors can be like half a percent. So you're looking at an additional cost savings over fiduciary. And robo-advisors are great if you're like, you know what? I've got 50 bucks a month. Like that's all I've got here. I want it in. I want it working for me in some capacity. And those are managed, you know, by AI. So they're not being as actively managed, but they're still significantly better generally than you just getting and putting money in your savings account. Because any money that you put in your savings account, you're going to end up not keeping up with inflation. So your money is literally worth less every month or every year. And that's why I'm such a big proponent um, of investing. I see. I just have a follow-up question on that. So I guess, which would you recommend the most for college students with like, you know, everything going on? Like which type of investing? I would say robo-investing. Um, I would do robo-investing to get started because there are so many apps that you can literally like, you know, you can get it in there. There's Betterment. Betterment is one of my favorites. Um, I think it took literally like 10 minutes to set an account up with someone the other day. And they just wanted something simple where they could get in and get going. 
And I think the fees were like 0.75, but you can tell it like, I want aggressive. I want to prioritize like women owned businesses. Like it gives you some customizations there that I think are really worthwhile. And then you can update your account. So like, you know, it'll automatically pull however much you set it to pull. And then if you want to be more aggressive or less aggressive, like you're able to change that and it'll automatically rebalance and like keep going. So that's, I think probably the simplest and most cost-effective for college students. Awesome. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> if you're yeah, starting now, don't wait. I will do it right after this call. I know we were like all so attentive to that. Um, other than what we just specifically talked about, what other, not for me, definitely not asking for me, what other <laughs> advice would you have for either people going into college, in college, like just starting to graduate? Like how do you start financially planning? Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of questions. Well, one, I think when you're getting ready to go into college or you're getting ready to declare a major, maybe if you started and you didn't have a major paying a little bit of attention, I mean, take this for what it's worth. Obviously me being a prime example of not working in the field that I went to school for. Um, but if you're going to go to school for something specific and you want to work in that field and you're going to be taking student loans out one price shop, you know, compare various degrees at various schools based on the rates of employment in their respective fields. I think that that's something that doesn't get paid attention to enough. And then also look at the average salary and the starting salaries for those same career paths. Now, all of that said, I feel like for so many of us, you know, unless you're going to school to be like a psychologist or a doctor or something along those lines, like you're going to career hop. And even within those, you know, fields, you can career hop. And I don't discourage that in the slightest, because again, it's been proven that you can make more money. Basically you like cap out um, every time you stay somewhere for like two years, like once you hit that two years time span, you've capped on like overall return on like your time. And it would be time to look, to move somewhere to leverage a higher salary. So paying attention to that, understanding that you'll probably not be staying somewhere for the long haul, wherever you do end up and then setting up good financial habits while you're in college. And that can look really different depending on, you know, are you living exclusively off of student loans? Are your parents helping or a relative? Are you, you know, trying to pay for it yourself or some combination of all of those. And I think there can be the temptation to, you know, open a credit card or like you have that extra money that comes across on the student loan and, you know, you're going to spend money while you can because YOLO. And I mean, been there, done that. Um, especially I think in the pandemic, you're like, yeah, I don't know if there's ever even a point to saving for retirement because are we going to live that long? No, there's like balancing the here and now with like planning for the future. And so with that, like, I'm a really big proponent of, planning accordingly. Like what are the things that you like that are non-negotiables? You know, is it food? Is it yes. shopping? Yes. Is it, <laughs> yeah. No, is it all of the things? Um, but like, you know, on my side of things, what do I not care about? I don't really care about shopping that much. Like I have a really minimalist wardrobe. It's high end, but I buy pieces that will last forever that are an investment piece for myself. Um, travel and food are my two things. Like that's, I will spend with abandon on those. And so I set my finances up so that I can spend with abandon on those things. And what I mean by that is the whole anti-budget thing. Um, so instead of like going super old school and laying a budget out and being like, Oh, I get, you know, $5 for this and $10 for this and whatever. And that being really miserable and kind of like, well, what happens when you blow that? Like, is the whole month, you know, is it like blowing a diet and the whole month is just off. And instead I want you to automate your money. So, you know, maybe you get a student loan disbursement or, you know, you're working, you have that money in there, figure out when your bills come out 
And for certain bills, you can actually call and change their due date so that they line up with like your paychecks. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that you can't normally do that with is like rent or mortgage, but like cell phone and car payments and credit cards, like anything along those lines, you can move it so that it fits with your pay schedule. So once those bills are paid and I like to automate them again, like set them up on the minimum payment or whatever you need to do so that one, you're not forgetting them and dinging your credit score. Cause that's the big thing. And two, then that money that's left in your account, that's your money to do whatever you want with. So you can do the brunch, you can do it. And when that money's out, you're out. Like all of your basic bills have been paid and you've gotten to have fun. Everything sounds logically totally makes sense. I just never do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard like making an Excel spreadsheet of like what you caught, like what you spend and like budgeting how much like you spend a month is like super beneficial. Like, what do you think about that? You're going to have to open Excel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to use Excel that well, but yeah. Um, So my question is what, what do you want to spend your time doing? I think for the right person, it is super beneficial. And I have clients that are like, you know what? I want my budget. I want to stick to it. I love it. I work on it every day. I spend 20 minutes. I enter all my purchases. That is absolutely exhausting for me. Um, I look at thinking about doing that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. Like I can't even get to inbox zero most days for work. Like, and I need to go get into Excel and log my purchases and do all of that. So if it works for you and your personality type, by all means, it can be super effective. However, I think for the majority of us, it can just be like one more chore that you've thrown on. And then it doesn't make money fun. And I think that we need to make money fun or enjoyable or a little bit less miserable sometimes, depending on like where you're at in your relationship with it. And for me, that's getting to focus on the things that I want to do with it versus like, oh, hey, you know, I, I, all my bills are paid. Those are automated so that I don't have to pay attention to them. I don't have to spend time focusing on the money that I have to, that I have to spend versus the money that I want to spend. And that makes a big difference for me. I see. Um, I, I hear that you are mentioning like personality type a lot. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your business. I feel like you're like a very like individual based, like consulting, uh, like, you know, entrepreneur, like whatever, like really human based versus a lot of like big firms that are just like, Oh, you pay us this much. I'll do that. Yeah. So, I mean, my business really is what is known as like a lifestyle business. So not only do I love the fact that I'm able to help people and, you know, bring knowledge and clarity to something that like, there's so much shame and all this, you know, like, all of these issues wrapped up, but I also like, it fits around my life. You know, I can travel on again, a non COVID year. Mm-hmm. Um, I normally spend like two to four months out of the country. I'm able to work the hours that I want to work. Um, and I make my schedule work around me, which has been really great. Like I don't work in the afternoons, you know, after two o'clock I'm, I'm kind of done for the day normally. Like that's, you know, random admin things or like family time, um, which is really nice, but then I can get it, you know, up in the morning and work at 5 AM and send things off for the day and like schedule emails. And, um, I think that's what I really like the most is that I have, and it hasn't always been this way, but like the longer I'm in business, the more I engineer things so that they work with me instead of me having to fit into a traditional business model. Okay. Um, I have a follow-up con- uh, a question on that. So how would you introduce your business to like college students or just graduated? So in general, Caitlin Magnuson, millennial money expert, you know, we dive into personal and business finances, um, from just the business perspective and what I've been working with there as a freelance CFO and what that means. I, okay. Actually let's rewind. What that means, yeah. Because I feel like people are like, okay, so what does that mean? Um, what that means is that on the personal side, we can dive in to help you manage your money better. 
uh, more effectively, have it work for you from, again, a lifestyle perspective. And I'm going to sound like a broken record there. And then from your business, I go in and I find like the gaps and the holes. And then I help one, make sure that everything is legitimized. And then two, depending on, you know, budget and like workflow, I will actually take that the bookkeeping, the accounting, all of like the record keeping, um, on, on my end with our team. Is there any advice that you can give us a little sneak peek on, um, for college students or like saving anything that you think would be very useful for us right now? I'm like, first so I'm going to hammer this one home. Yeah. I'm going to hammer this home retirement. I mean, I know we touched on it, but like literally retirement and investing, like not necessarily just retirement, right? Because like we have other things we want to save for, um, but having retirement and, or like an investing account or brokerage account, I mean, just really being able to set that money aside again, even if it's like 10, 15, $20, that all adds up so much quicker, especially when you're college age, than if you wait till you're, you know, 27, 28, 30, and then try and start aggressively saving at that point. Um, the other thing would be like, make sure you're balancing your, your wants over your needs. And I'm not saying that you have to do wants over needs because obviously like we need to have a roof over our head and food and all of that jazz, but like pick the things that really make a difference in your life, you know, and it doesn't have to be like self-care things specifically, but like minor travel and food. I will always prioritize spending money over those. I own the same naked makeup palette from when I was 18 and I the original <laughs> naked palette. Like that's just not something that I have prioritized in my life. Um, whereas I have friends, you know, that are totally the opposite. So making sure that you understand, like you're not just mindlessly spending, but you're being mindful of your spending and still not neglecting your wants and needs. I feel like I'm desiring so much stuff right now. It's yeah, weird. I just want everything. That I yeah, guess. especially like in New York City, it's all like fashion and like everything and luxuries. Like it's all being thrown in your face all the time. Yeah. So that was really good. Yes. For students or like people listening to the podcast who want to work with you, what does that process look like? What's the first step? How they get in touch with you? Like, do you have a process you want to like lay out for everyone if they're interested? I'm, I'm working on a process. That is a great question. Um, so right now, I think DMing me via Instagram is probably one of the easiest ways to just like, hey, this is me because I can, my team or myself can always send links over for things. You know, if you're like, hey, this is me, this is where I'm at. Um, but I do have a millennial money mischief managed course, MMM. Um, that is a really good starting point. It's super affordable. If I remember, I want to say, I think it's like under a hundred dollars, um, but super affordable. It covers retirement. It covers, you know, budgeting. It covers all of the like saving and how to like do the anti-budget and everything that we talked about. Um, and is a really, really good starting point. Okay. We'll make sure to link all the stuff in the Instagram post and our, uh, description. People can go to your website or find you on social media. More of a note to myself. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of how to get people started and like advice for college students in particular, I want to ask about uh, student debt. Do you have any advice in particular for paying off student debt? Because I know we're all suffering from that. It's crazy. Yes. So I think a lot of people like coming out, you know, you'll be like, oh God, I have like, you know, these loans that are going to kick in normally like what, six months, I think after you graduate. Um, and you're like, oh, great. And half the time, like I even had friends that just literally kept going back to school because it kept deferring their loans. And I'm like, okay, but you're only putting off the inevitable. Like you realize another (laughs) master's degree, like unless it's actually bumping your income, like is not going to fix this problem. So number one, you need to look at the interest rates of your loans. And I, I think the biggest advice would actually be to not ignore them. You know, they're not just going to like disappear and go away. You can't bury your head in the sand as much as we'd all want to. So one, if the interest rates are under 6%, I don't actively push people to pay those off in a quicker manner. Again, you should be able to earn more. Um, now if, 
if there's something like, you know, 11, 12, et cetera, by all means, pay those suckers off um, and prioritize that because you're not going to, on an average year, out earn that high of interest, just like with credit card interest. You know, you can't really beat that. The average person can't beat that with investments. So plan on being able to repay them if you need, like if, you know, you're not able to get a job right away, or maybe you're in a job that's not making, like not in your field or not making what you planned on, you can definitely apply for, and I encourage you to apply for income-based repayments so that, you know, if you're only making $20,000 a year, you're not paying $500 a month towards your student loans and not able to like afford the roof over your head. Exactly. That's really good advice. Cause I just know so many people are like so burdened with loans and like, no one even knows where uh, the right direction is to start. And everyone just wants to pay it all at once, but it's, it's nice to know that that might not be like the most helpful option at the time. Sure. Well, and fingers crossed, there may be some forgiveness coming across. I mean, granted, it probably won't wipe off, you know, everyone's loan, but it'll help you. So yeah, don't, don't basically don't prioritize it unless it's a really high interest. All right. Perfect. So for students who aren't taking the quote unquote normal route out of college where you do go into like the corporate world or go to grad school and they want to start their own business or become an entrepreneur, what advice do you have for taking that leap? Because the financial side is kind of like a not given to you. It's not very clear, like how much you're going to make at what point. So what advice do you have to like, not only stay in control of your finances to make sure you are paying things off, but also to like, keep motivated to start your business or want to be a part of it. <sighs> That's a great question. Okay. That has like a three-part answer. Um, so number one, if you have a business idea for something that you want to start, start that now, start it while you're in school, you know, even if it's just a few hours a week, like getting your feet under you and kind of understanding, like my business has, you know, changed and it, it's iterated like five or six different, you know, ways over the last 10 years until I found something that worked for me, for my clients and for the market. And I was really grateful that I had, you know, jobs off and on through that to kind of do the same thing. Like you, you know, you can be in school and be learning, but that doesn't mean that you have to wait to, you know, graduate to be able to start your business. So start now, use your network, um, you know, whether that's social media, whether that's, you know, friends at school, et cetera, like really lean on, if you need something, if you're looking for help, if you need employees, assistance, like, you know, there's all these different areas. So ask for help and don't be afraid to ask for it. And then I would say as far as burnout and staying motivated, I mean, that I really think is what makes an entrepreneur from someone that's not an entrepreneur. Uh, or an entrepreneur, entrepreneur from, from an employee at the end of the day, you have to have an insatiable drive and you can't look for people or validation. Like you can't look for people outside of you to give you validation and that drive to keep you going. Um, and I think that that, I mean, and there's no shame in that. Like if that's just not who you are and you need someone to be like, Hey, you know, Sydney, I need you to do X, Y, Z today. Like, that's great. You know, you would make a fantastic employee and there's zero shame in that. But if you can't see yourself working for someone else, or you've like dipped your toe in the water and you have a really hard time, you know, conceptualizing that or having to set an alarm or all these other things that go along with it, then, you know, entrepreneur, the, the entrepreneur route might be for you and yeah. just giving yourself time and not putting so much pressure on all of your, like on your venture right away. You know, like Apple wasn't built overnight. You know, it, it takes time to build things up. And so I think just understanding that like, you may not turn a real profit for the first year or two. The goal would then be to be turning a profit, you know, within kind of those two years, but just give yourself grace to understand that you're growing with your business. I think I saw a um, Elon Musk interview and someone asked him, uh, how do you keep motivated? And he, his answer was, if you're looking for motivation, then you just shouldn't be an entrepreneur. He's, he scares <laughs> like, wow. me. I know. 
He scares me so much. His kid's think, name is like yeah. XXRY. I thought you were asking her how to be motivated. I was like, yeah, like, I was like, I want to listen to this too, because I need some motivation. <laughs> no, I mean, really? And that, like, I even had, okay, so I'm a Taurus and a projector and an INFP. I don't know my Enneagram. I need to redo that. But my dear, sweet husband, uh, probably six, seven years ago when I wasn't doing this full time as our, you know, my, our full household income made some comment that like, he didn't believe that I could make it work. And, you know, I was like, Oh, you want to wait and see. So like yeah. to an extent that was an external, not probably the healthiest external motivator. <laughs> I, was like, I will prove you wrong. And Anything I will works. do this just to spite you. Um, but we actually, we talked about it like three months ago and he was like, yeah, you, I mean, I'm really proud of you. You've done a good job. And I'm well, thanks. I've been proud of myself for five years, man. Like Boom. glad you could finally get with the program, but it made me realize like I'd finally gotten to a place where like, I wasn't like, my parents still don't understand what I do. You know, they're in their fifties and have like no idea. And I've explained it to them three times. Um, it's just mind boggling to them. So I just, I, I have not been able to look, I have peers that get it. I have, you know, business mentors that get it. And so you just have to be like, so inherently driven, I think. And if, if you're not, and you want to be them, maybe you're not in the right area. You know, if you're forcing something, maybe you should just be, maybe that's not the business for you. I just thought about tax, taxes and um, it's just another topic that I like, wow, cannot get into. But what would you say like the most useful and prominent tax forms that we need to know, like tax, um, whatever the name is, like one zero blah, blah, blah. The 1040. So like, the actual filing form or the forms that you need to have gathered for tax filing see i don't even know yeah this is our first tax season and we were all like what does this mean okay okay so i'll give like a brief rundown so basically you have tax forms that are issued to you that report earnings of some sort earnings or interest or whatever that you've paid that has been reported so like a 1099 you would get if you earned income through something like stripe or square or paypal and what that is is that's those entities have reported to the IRS, hey, Claudia has made XYZ, for example. Um, then they're going to be looking for you to claim that 1099 on yours. So basically like closes the loop. And if you don't, even if you've claimed the income, but not claim the 1099, it can set you up for an audit because they're like, hey, this is pending out here. Like, why have you not claimed it? Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. 1099s there and 1099s can be a 1099 K, which is from payment processors like Stripe, Square, or PayPal, a 1099 NEC, which is a non-employee, non-employee contractor. They just broke it out this year from the miscellaneous. And that would be things like if I paid my virtual assistant, I would get, give her a 1099 NEC. Um, and that just reports that she's not an employee of mine, but I've paid her more than $600 last year. She need to use that for her taxes. Um, there is a 1099 DIV, which is for dividends from like investments. And they literally, they'll just send these to you. Like you don't have to ask for them. They'll be in your online portal or they'll mail them to you. There's a 1099 INT, which is for interest. So like from your bank account, um, again, investments, things of that nature. And then there's 1098s and 1098s come in for student loans and homes. And those are the two most common places that you'll see those. And then, so outside of the 10 whatevers, um, <laughs> you'll have W2s and then you'll have a, I lied. There's one other 1095. You'll have a 1095 most of you, if you're on your parents' insurance, um, you would have a 1095 that has you listed on there. If you're on your own or you don't have insurance, um, you should either have a 1095 with just your name or you wouldn't have a 1095 at all. And a 1095 is simply proof of insurance that reports what months you had it covered. So those are all the documents that you would 
generally need, um, not from the business side, but just from your personal side. And the tax form that you file generally will be the 1040. And the 1040 is just like, Hey, I'm an individual with normal individual income. Like there's no business things going on. You know, it's literally like, I think three pages it's relatively, okay. I'm going to say straightforward, um, in the tax realm, it's relatively straightforward. I'm Katia Adler, host of the global story over the last 25 years. I've covered conflicts in the middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you started your business, did you have a lot of connections already, or did you have to like create connections? And like, how important were they in starting a business? Okay, so yes and no. Um, I had a couple of connections. So I had a few clients, like one of my, when I ended up unemployed, the client that had bought the business became a client of mine. Like my employer became my client. Um, and then I basically cold pitched my ass off for like three to six months. And I would reach out to organizations, um, and say like, Hey, I noticed that I think there's a need for what I do with your business. Here's me. Here's what I do. Would love to chat. Um, was actually quite successful with that. I have like an 80% close rate on like, once I get someone to respond, um, which is fantastic. Cause I feel like there's a real need again for like not having a full-time employee. And then, um, I ended up leveraging Facebook and Instagram a lot. So Facebook groups were really beneficial because there are a lot, like for what I do specifically, there are a lot of other business owners in those Facebook groups that are looking for help. And then once I built up a net network of like 15 to 20 people that had worked with me in some capacity, 
I've really grown on referrals. Like, you know, one became five, became 12. And I don't have to, I mean, obviously I do my job and what I'm contracted for, but like, you know, it's been all organic leads in the last like three years. I've only recently started like any sort of paid advertising for a mailing list and like audience increasing. Um, going back to the tax thing, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. really wants to know about our taxes. That was so much information, but then it also stressed me out because I never know when is the age to start doing your taxes. I thought taxes is when you get income. April. I want to ask you specifically, what are um, W-2 forms and W-9 forms? <laughs> it's, a whole, it's a whole course. <laughs> no, th- so there, there is, I, I do have, shameless plug, I do have various shop items that dive more into these, but a W-2, so we're going to say, there's a W-2, a W-4, a W-9, and a 1099. And I'm going to explain all four of them because they're interrelated. So when you start like a traditional job job, they have you fill out a W-4. It says who you are. It says your address. It says your social security number, your birth date. And it has what you what your household information is and what you need to have withheld for taxes throughout the year. Now, what you need to have withheld, normally you guys would put like single and zero. And that means that generally you're, you know, not married and you don't have any children and that will have the most amount withheld because the more children you have or dependents essentially relying on you, the less you pay in taxes because the more people you have relying on one income. So W-4, then at the end of the year from that employer, you get a W-2 and a W-2 is simply what your employer reports to the IRS and to the state. And they say, Hey, for Claudia, here's her info. Here's what we sent over on taxes on her behalf. Like, here you go. And then you take that W-2 and you use that when you do your taxes. Now, the self-employed version of that is a W-9, just like a W-4. It says, Hey, I'm Caitlin. Here's my business info. Here's my identifying info. Um, here's my address. And then at the end of the year, if they needed to send a 1099, which for most businesses, you would send a 1099 if you paid, if it's a US based business and you paid them $600 or more via like cash, check, we're going to go real old school, Zelle, like anything that's not a credit card processor, you would then issue a 1099. And the reason that there's a $600 threshold is essentially to help prevent fraud. So if you pay someone $599 and you write that off in your business, you don't have to send a 1099. But the second you hit 600, even you issue a 1099. And that does the same thing as the W2 on the employee side. It sends a thing to the IRS and to the state and says, Hey, we paid this person this much as a business write-off. And then they get a copy of that, that they use for their taxes. I see. Thank you so much. That cleared. Thank you. It's a lot of W's. (laughs) This is a sneak peek into her course. (laughs) <laughs> yes. There, there's a lot like it, it gets, I don't know. I take it all for granted now, but then I'm like, Oh my God, there are like you know, three different W like forms yeah. and then all the 10, whatever is like, there's a lot. Exactly. Well, you guys with that sneak peek, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. We're just about out of time. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on again, everyone. This is Caitlin Magnuson. Make sure to follow her website or go on her website and hire her at the freelance CFO. Her Instagram is Caitlin Magnuson spelled K-A-T-E-L-Y-N dot M-A-G-N-U-S-O-N. And thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming on and this amazing little sneak peek of what you have going on over on your side. We are so honored to have you. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with with Zumo Play.